Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. All right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 105 of the Former Action Guys podcast. I'm your host, Justin Kramer. And yeah, this week I have on old friend of the show, Tracy Offit is here. And then uh, we also have on a newcomer, Lucas Merritt, who's going to talk about his time. And I'm really interested to hear these guys uh, talk about the Anglico deployment as a company, which doesn't happen very often that the entire company deploys and kind of gets their perspective of that. So that's going to be great. Uh, I did want to read, I got two reviews where I had one person send me a message. Pretty cool. So Josh Ford 20 on Instagram said, Hey, just wanted to say, love the podcast. I'm a new listener and tuned in at just about the right time. The episode with the FBI HRT SWAT uh, gave great information and a good listen. Great content, man. Thanks for doing it. And that's the episode with Rob Saley who came on. He's the retired FBI special agent. And he was also the former director of the hostage recovery fusion cell. Really good episode. The, he's been on twice now. The first one, we, we talk a lot about Austin Tice, who was a Marine officer that got uh, captured in Syria um, after he got out. And they still believe he's being held there. So he gave us an update on that. His second episode, um, he came on and talked about just kind of different things with the FBI. We talk about, you know, different munitions that they're using and different weapon systems and stuff like that between the HRT, FBI, SWAT and stuff. Really good episode there. So make sure to check those out. And then on Apple Podcast, I got a review from PMoney39. Said, great podcast for everyone in military, thinking of joining regular civilian, etc. Broad group of guests offer a great point of view into the military and life within the military. So Thank you for that. That is my 98th straight five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys could, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to go over there and leave a review. I'd like to get up to 100 straight. That'd be pretty sick. So try to help me out with that. And then uh, as always, if you're watching the live stream here, make sure to subscribe to the show and give us a thumbs up. And uh, yeah, that's about it. We're going to go ahead and kick it off with uh, with Tracy and uh, Merritt here. I call you Merritt. I mean, what do you prefer now that you're a civilian? Oh, man. Sergeant Merritt. It's funny. When it comes to what people call me, what people call me kind of lets you in on how they know me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people, obviously people I knew from the military, they call me Merritt still. Yeah. Even when I go to see uh, Petey down in the Bay and stuff, he still, he'll call me Merritt. Um, That's just kind of, that's just the way it is with military dudes. And then, but then they got other people, you know, that I knew from when I was younger they all call me Luke because that was like, I like to be called Luke when I was younger growing mm-hmm. up. And then if, you know, I know him after the military or, you know, as a, you know, probably my high school years, as I got older, I was like, no, Lucas is fine. Cause I changed schools twice during high school. Oh, I was wow. kind of tired of trying to explain to everybody. Like, oh, I like to be called Luke. So I was like, well, yeah. everyone's calling me Lucas because that's what it says on my, on my paperwork. So I went with it. What a so, bummer time. Change, changing school twice during high school? I did it voluntarily. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, like I was telling you before we started, I grew up in a small town. Yeah. You know, it's great when you're a kid, you know, running around and all that. But as I got older, it was just like claustrophobic. And, you know, the my high school originally, Durham. Like, I went to school there from, what, first grade 
all the way through freshman year. Mm-hmm. You know, so and it's the same kids. I've known all these kids forever, and yeah. there's only like seventy five people in a class. Yeah, holy moly! You know, so it's really small. Um, That's crazy compared to out here. Yeah, Farrell talked about he's from Illinois, and I think his whole town only had four hundred people or something like that. It's yeah. crazy how small his town is. Yeah, it's, so it's just you know. Where are you from originally? Um, I grew up in Durham, California. Um, like now I live in Chico, which is just like six minutes up the road. Mm-hmm. That's I was born in Chico, and my parents live in Chico again now. Um, it's like what, an hour and a half or so north of Sac. Um, it's decently known because of Chico State. Yeah, like it's been <laughs> featured around. You know, that's uh, funny. I think King of the Hill. Futurama, there's a bunch of bunch of TV shows that have had it, and then you have Sierra Nevada there, so you see Sierra Nevada around. It's a crazy, it's a holy, it's the kids I talked to in college. Um, one of my professors was like, "Hey, how big was everybody's high school like graduating class?" And people were talking about thousands of students, like yeah. o- like over like fifteen hundred, like more students in their graduating class than I had in my, like my entire high school. Yeah, you know, because I'm from Indiana, and we had I think a thousand people in my high school, you know, at most, and we thought. You know, that's a decent-sized school, we thought, you know. But we, I also, my high school had cornfields, I think, on two sides of it. And we'd have <laughs> Future Farmers of America would have the drive your tractor to school day and shit like that. And you'd see these fucking dudes, like, driving, literally driving their combines in and parking them in the parking lot. And we had a petting zoo and shit. You know, that's the kind, to compare that to, I'm sure, like, inland more, it's more common, something like that here in California, right? Rather than, like, the bigger cities. I mean, I don't know about... The high school down here, I'm sure they're way bigger. Yeah. Like, so I left Durham and I went to uh, Pleasant Valley, which is in Chico. And I went there because I had a couple other friends that I was in Durham with that were going there. Well, after one semester there, just through random occurrences, I met people that went to Chico High, the like crosstown rival high school. And this curriculum like actually at the school that I was interested in was way more advanced at Chico high. Mm. So that's why I transferred there after just one semester, my first semester, sophomore year at PV. Um, but yeah, those high schools are way different. I mean, like compared to Durham, at least like my graduating class, I think was like a little over 500. Um, I think the freshman class, my, my senior year was like 748. It was, grew huge oh that's a lot yeah um and everything was like especially at chico chico had, was like the older high school so they had all these all the new computer gadgets and everything because they were like going through all the remodeling and building because like oh yeah this old school's older than a dump we gotta redo it you know so we're getting all these new gadgets so i was into like the architecture and engineering programs and stuff so i mean we were getting you know 3d printer when it like first Damn. came out uh doing building things on this engineering program called SolidWorks. And then we'd, we could export them and you could actually put them on, print them on the 3D printer. Or um, we also had a CNC machine in the wood shop next door and we could print stuff out, like design it on SolidWorks and print it out on the, the CNC, you know, in the wood shop. So you got like wood stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had a metal shop and uh, or like well, Yeah, your stuff. standard. Like just stuff that... They didn't weren't even at PV where 
way behind. And then Durham, you know, yeah, there's like we were on like version one CAD in Durham on like these old ancient PCs. Now I'm working on like this brand new computer. Um, yeah, so just. I mean, just better situation all yeah, around. Yeah, that's why. Well, what point did you did you come into high or did you go into the Marine Corps right after high school? Yeah, I graduated on what the seventh of June, and I shipped to boot camp on the eleventh. Really? So went man. I wanted to do that. I wanted to like go to boot camp right after I graduated because I was a senior when September eleventh happened. You know, and that's when I first talked to the recruiter. But in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I got to like live you know, four years on my own. I, li- I lived on my own for four years and stuff like that. And just got to like understand how the world actually works a little bit yeah. before I joined, which helped me a lot, but it also, it wasn't good at first cause you're a private or a PFC and no one gives a fuck about your opinion. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you have a little bit of experience, yeah. you have an opinion yep. and uh, some people just didn't care. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I got to wait a little bit. Would you, in retrospect, would you do the same thing again, or would you have waited a little bit before joining? Um, I mean, I'd probably do the same thing again. Yeah? It's, I, I always say, like, there's pros and cons. Yeah, I, for sure. I think the pros to going in right after high school is I'm just, I'm going in there, I'm doing it, you know, and I never ran into any situation where, you know, like, I had 25-year-old PFCs that I was in charge of at, like, you know, 18, 19. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I don't have, I don't know what I'm missing, I think. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of it, I'm sure going in later, you know, maybe when you're like 20 or whatever, that probably makes the transition afterwards a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. it's not such a culture shock, you know, because when I got out, it was, it was rough times. I'm not going to lie. I but bet, man. I, I mean. I pretty much knew nothing else. Yeah. Um, you know, I went from being part of like that type brotherhood to going home and i mean yeah just another dude in town old, i had old friends you know from growing up with guys guys that even guys i've known since i was you know like 10 um but it's just not the same you know yeah they can't relate you know mm-hmm. they can't just... relate they have their priorities you know they don't think of a uh oh sorry what i realized was like those made the those are friendships but they weren't brothers and that's i make a big distinction between the two now it's like guys i served with you know my friends in the marines those are my brothers and that it's it's a way tighter relationship than you know my friends that i have yeah i think it's those people can never understand like especially because you were in like Anglico and stuff like that and you went to combat and you did these different things i mean unless you've done those things you know, it's hard to even understand. And even people that didn't go to combat, even just joining the Marine Corps, how many people have like rappelled down a big ass tower? Yeah. How many people have sat in a room full of CS gas and like, you know, with a gas mask on? That's just boot camp shit. But that's stuff that yeah. regular people see on TV and they're like, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, Can you believe they did that? It's funny sometimes because I don't really advertise my service. I don't talk about it a lot. Like, if people ask questions, then, you know, if I'll answer if they're appropriate. You know, some people ask some dumbass questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but because of that, it's it's funny what some people, like, the, what their expectations are, like, what, you know, I did as a Marine, like, their idea that they have in their head. And since I don't actively try to, like, you know, correct them or anything, there's some, some of them have some pretty <laughs> outlandish, <laughs> like, they think I was, like, Rambo or something. I'm like, 
Yeah, sure. yeah I mean, <laughs> whatever, bro. The misconception, the misconception of like the civilian sector to what the military actually does is is real bad, you know. And that's just a because there's it's an all volunteer force, and there's no buy in for the regular person, you know. With one percent of the people that are actually going in, oh. how affected are people that? You know, we still have people in Afghanistan right now. We have people in Iraq yeah. right now. And, like, the only reason we ever hear about the people in Iraq is when uh, Iran shoots a missile at them. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But all those people have families that are, like, super concerned about them. But no one else can really understand that because we don't – we don't even – the news doesn't focus on it. Even like, they're over there. Yeah. Yeah, people don't even – people don't even pay attention to it. So, it's – the buy-in is definitely not there. I would do like – I would like to go back and say the transition piece, I think, for sure – is it'll probably a little easier if you spend a little time in the civilian sector working a regular job going you know getting an apartment you know because i was telling a guy i was like you know i was like the big issue we have i think with guys getting out and having problems is they go from living under their parents charge you know they're living in their parents house to living in the barracks where they don't get to decide what they do they don't get to decide what room they live in or how their room is kept you know people people are making those decisions for them and then, and this is four year people, people that just do four years and get out, you know, and then they do those four years. Now they're 22 years old, never have lived on their own, probably don't even know how to like find out how to start trash service, you know, service at their yeah. house that they're renting or turn the gas on. Or, yeah, they really don't know how to be independent. I, I really wish the military <laughs> treated the barracks more like apartments. Like you sign, Hey man, you're, you're at this, you just checked in. Well, we're going to sign a one year lease. You know, obviously understanding it can be broken anytime because you're in the military, but you're going to sign a one year lease and you're going to, it's going to get treated like an apartment. But I think with that is the Marine Corps also has to give the respect that we, you know, have to let them live in it. Like it's an apartment. Like if I want to put a poster on the wall, then I should be able to put a poster on the wall because some units, the company gunny or battery gunnies or whoever, like in charge of the barracks are, are fucking Nazis and won't let dudes. I remember being at 210 and we had a battery gunny who just came off the drill field and it was like the first field day formation um, with everyone. And he's like, no civilian linens on the racks. You can only use what's issued. Um, all the locks on your wall lockers have to be set to zero. Oh, like yeah, yeah. all this shit. Like, and, and then the barracks manager comes out and they're like, hey, gunny, we don't even have enough linen to give everybody. Like they have to <laughs> use the civilian linen because we don't have enough for them. Yeah. You know? And... I don't know, but I think, I think we should do a better, that's a better way of preparing guys for the transition is to like treat it like a place. And if you fuck it up, you pay for it. It comes out of your paycheck. Cause a lot of shit dudes do in the barracks, yeah, they get away I with. Mean, that's my, when I was at my first unit, that's how the barracks were. They were, it's, this is the way it is. You know, and we had, you know, junior Marines, they were three man to a room still. Yeah. That's what I was when I got to the fleet was yeah. three. Uh, Anglico is a little different. It was a little more relaxed. Um, you know, and then like when I was, a didn't barracks, we keep junior Marines? It was two to a room if they were junior Marines, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was so. But for, even after a while, I think Marine Corps order it changed. Uh, it first transitioned to like sergeants were all all got their own rooms, and then like the next year it was like, all right, now the new goal is like corporal. Uh, also, all NCOs basically got their new rooms, which I always thought was kind of an issue at Anglico because we had so many young corporals; they never really like. They hadn't spent enough time to really be able to reach that point where they can be independent and have their own space. Oh and, yeah, uh, not have to worry about them and stuff. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, like when I was a barracks manager, Anglico, I was like, dude, I don't care. You put posters up, do this, do that. Yeah, Anglico's a little Line different. In, yeah, slide your bags together, make make you know get a mattress topper, make king size bed or whatever. A lot like, of dudes did, did that. Too. Yeah, um, 
but I made sure cleanliness was a thing. You know, it's like, and it's not really about, like, it's not about them. You know, I, I don't care if you're clean. I care if your room's clean and maintained because someone else is going to come live in here and they, they deserve a nice room too. Which they rarely like get. Got, especially <laughs> when we got back from our deployment and it's like, the barracks basically brand new because it just all got remodeled. Yeah, you know, it's like you've got a brand new room. The next guy should get, you know, the same place. There's she shouldn't have to come into something crappy because you messed it up. You know? For sure. So that let's back name. let's back up a little bit. You came in the Marine Corps as a radio operator. Yep. You know, and I was we were talking before the show. I wasn't even really sure what your MOS was until a little bit ago because most of the radio operators at Anglico know how to do call for fire. So. Unless it's not like you wear a patch that says I'm a radio operator, like if and you know, I, I thought you were a six one. So when you came in the Marine Corps, is that what you wanted to be was a radio operator? Or did you know what you wanted to be? Um well, so when I enlisted, I was seventeen still. So I had to, my my parents had to sign. Mm-hmm. And that was like the no way in hell are you joining if you go into the infantry. So I asked my recruiter, like, hey, man, like, how do I get to the infantry <laughs> without being infantry? He's like, do be a radio operator. You'll, you'll go to infantry every time. <laughs> He's like, yeah. that or open contract. I'm like, well. Open I've, contract I've heard, doesn't work. I've always heard <laughs> bad things about open contract. So let's do the radio operator thing. Um, so I did that with hopes of getting sent to, you know, victory unit and just basically came like, yeah, I didn't go infantry, mom and dad, but here I am. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, my first duty station was Fast Company, <laughs> not, not a victory unit. Um, but still, it, I'm glad. Like I'm glad I became a radio operator. Like the way things went, yeah, it turned out for me. Um, it's it worked out good. I learned a lot. Like Fast Company, like they get a bad place gets a bad rap because yeah, there's a lot of turds there. Well, you get turd NCOs that go there on their B billet. And just treat it like a vacation and don't teach their boots that come in as like they're on a b-billet too but it's like their first duty station um that's like the majority of the unit they don't teach them you know anything but just the bare minimums so you get all these just garbage ass marines that get sent out to the fleet and people are like where are you from oh fast company yeah no wonder you're trash yeah, I thought it was always the, because of the difference in SOPs, just because the infantry battalion operates differently than the fast company oh, no, guys. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though, is like that's so, yeah, if you just do the bare minimum, just teach them those basic SOPs, like, but you got, they all know that eventually these guys are going to the fleet. Yeah. So, like, my platoon sergeant, Gunner Sergeant Cornish, great guy, pretty much, you know, taught me most of everything I knew uh, that obviously wasn't com related. By the time I got uh, to Anglico, I mean, he taught us all sorts of stuff that had nothing to do with the Fast Company SOPs. Like, sure, he trained us on all that, got us up to speed on that, but then he's like, you guys are grunts. You're going to go to you know, the infantry. You're going to go to a line company. Yeah. And you need to know what you're doing. So, yeah, we went through everything. Um, what was your take on Fast Company guys since you're an infantryman? I mean, you probably ran into them quite a bit. Over not, your not as often as you would think. Um I don't really remember them junior Marines, Fast Company Marines. I remember staff NCOs coming from Fast Company. Well, yeah. and that's, that's one of the main issues is the, by the time, because they get those extra points, by the time they get out to the fleet, a lot of them are NCOs. Oh. So you got these corporals that are supposed to like be able to you know, 
lead these junior Marines and teach them shit. They don't know how to do it. So yeah. you get extra points at Fast Company? Yeah, it's like 100 extra points towards your cutting score. For Really? Oh, well, I didn't because I'm just there as like a support MLS. But all the infantry guys that go there right? Um, as their first duty. Say, like, so they get, it's a B-bullet. So they get those 100-point B-bullet points. Wow. But they go there because there's what they're up to like six platoons and three companies now, so that's a lot of Marines. So they get them straight from boot camp, and you know, as their first duty station because they don't have enough you know uh, guys that have been in you know going to people after the right. enlistment. I remember working with some uh, uh, infantry dudes from Eighth Marines when I was like a PFC, and one of the corporals was a fast company guy. And they just talk shit to that dude constantly. <laughs> yeah. They just treated him like a boot. I was yeah. like, damn, man. Like, you know, yeah, not, not like completely like a boot, but they just like would be like, this dude doesn't know anything. Like yeah. he's not allowed to make decisions, you know, it, it openly in front of me, you know, a PFC, they're talking about this corporal like that. I was like, geez, you know, yep. I was a mechanic at the time. I'm like, okay, going to go corporal. You know, like I have no idea what's going on yeah. right now. This is. Unfortunately, that's why a lot, a lot of... What kind of training did you guys do at Fast Company? Like, what were some of the SOPs? Not you don't have to go through your SOPs, but like, what kind um, of... I mean, just like specifically to that job, you do a lot of... Uh, I mean, you do a lot of shooting. You're on the range constantly. But um, not standard shooting? Like, or... What, um, what are you guys shooting? Don't they use different weapon systems? Because they're, they're considering they're always shooting and they're going to be shooting inside of embassies and stuff like that? They used to. So, when I first got there... They still had, um, like, MP5s in the armory. Yeah. And then everything else was, like, M4A1s. You know, so, like, they had M4, like, M4, let's go full auto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they got rid of the MP5s and a lot of the uh, A1s and replaced them with M16s. Really? Yeah, which made no sense. Maybe <laughs> they just rotated them to the fleet because of... Well, no, they just. Uh, there's a shortage. I think. <laughs> I think what happened is like the doctrine. You know what? What fast company was actually getting used for? How they were being utilized wasn't what their initial mission set was, and there's just no reason to keep you know those types of weapons. Plus, they would have had to. They would have had to get more MP5s because originally it was you know three companies or three platoons per company. Now they're up to six. Yeah. Like when I was there, it bumped up to four. And then, like, I think right before I wonder what I that left, increase is. Left, it was. Why? why? Do you know why they were increasing? Um, was this post Benghazi? No, no, this was long before Benghazi. Was it? Because yeah. I know at some point they started, like, hey, we need to increase our security for diplomatic missions and stuff like that overall. Um, I think they just, yeah, they just started doing more missions. You know, like, because you'd have. At all times, you'd have like two platoons out in each AO, which you had uh, Pacific, and they worked at a, you know, Yakuska, okay. Japan. Then you had two platoons that would work out of Rota, Spain, and then two platoons at a time working out of Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you also had what like a platoon that was always no two platoons that were in Gitmo at a time. Doing the fence line security, which I don't know, I I don't know if they still go down there anymore. Because I met a guy that did that, and he said he loved it. He said that was a good mm-hmm. gig doing security down in Cuba with Fast Company, or I don't know if he was Fast Company or if he was just a regular infantryman when he did it. But I know he did stand. He said they used to 
the Cuban guards, they would fuck with each other because they, like, mirror each other and stuff like that. Yeah, so they're bored, you're bored, and they're out there, like, <laughs> making signals back yeah, and forth and shit. you get some, some funny <laughs> stuff going on. Dude, that, that whole thing is, is sketch. Did yeah, you go to Cuba? Yeah, I was in Cuba. Oh, what was it like? Um, no way. It... I don't know. It was good, but also just like you know, losing my damn mind kind of thing. Why um, is that? Because you guys can't really do anything. Yeah, you can't really do much. Like, because since the detention center got put down there, it's like I don't know, sixty percent of the base is is the detention like, center to mm. anyone else other than those guys. And then those that what are they the JDF? Yeah, Joint Detention Facility. Does any all the guys that work for the JDF like? There's not enough barracks and stuff, so a lot of them they live in, you know, base housing stuff because they have way more base housing than they need now because, you know, it's not Clinton a regular base. did all the pullbacks, you know, dropping numbers. You know, they got rid of the Marine Corps regiment that was down there originally, like the like you see in uh, what's that one, the Men of Honor or whatever. No, the one with uh, a few good men. A few good a few men, good yeah. Men, yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah, that was back then. It was a regiment. Yeah, and. I heard some stories from some of the, you know, civilians that worked on base there about the, back in those days. Yeah, you know? um, but after they got they stopped them, and then Fast Company started taking over that mission, just rotating. Um, but just the base, you know, per- permanent personnel on the base got way smaller. Uh, Is it like being at a just like at a fob or something because you can't really go outside yeah, the yeah, base? It's kind of like that. Yeah. 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 You can't really can't really go off base like you can't go into cuba or anything yeah like the mwr does like trips they'll like you know, get on a boat and like you go to jamaica and stuff but i mean oh that's cool we're on like a tight schedule while we're on the mission so we don't get to go do that stuff but yeah i mean what a weird place cuba Did, have you ever been down there no no uh john nichols one of my platoon sergeants he was a when it was a regiment he worked down there yeah. He told me some good stories. Hardwood and Regiment was a really good time. <laughs> yeah. They used to do, uh, they used to do like weekend barbecues and like the guy who worked at the PX, he would like organize it for him. So everyone just like going to the PX, you know, but before like that Saturday and, you know, give him 10 bucks for the barbecue. So then on They're, Saturday, he just go into the PX, you know, with whatever money collected and get beer and meat and everything. And then they just throw huge barbecues on like the beaches and stuff. You know, Is there surf cool. down there? Um, I mean, I bet it's not, not very high. Not really. Right? Yeah. You can't, you can't surf it at all. It's but, like Florida probably, you know, where you get like two feet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, always, um, and a lot of the coastline is like dangerous. Like I think, was it when we, yeah, when I was down there, right before I got down there, they had like two guys, or no, three guys. They were cliff jumping, and one guy disappeared. So another guy jumps in to go save him. He disappears. Oh shit! Oh no way! Third guy's like, I'll give it a try. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess you can't dial nine one one in Cuba. Yeah, well. yeah. But so then the Dang. the uh, coast guard goes out looking for him on their boats, and I guess they found him eventually. But I mean that. Happens more than you'd think. Okay? Yeah. Like, I think once you hear one story like that, you'd be like, okay, yeah. So if someone goes in, they don't come back up, go get help. Go get help, <laughs> like, yeah. Don't I've always jump wa- in after them. I've always wanted to go to Cuba, you know? Like regular Cuba, not yeah. not the military base there. 
I know you can't now. I think you can if you like. I think you have to go to Mexico and get on a plane in Mexico yeah. and fly there. I think that's how a lot of yeah. people do it. Yeah. Well, that's why uh, a lot of people fly like, fly out of like TJ and stuff. And yeah. Drive across the border. Yeah, I've considered doing that because I've always wanted to go to Cuba and check it out because I think it'd be a super sick spot to just. Yeah, like, I always thought like, you know, since they too bad they're communist that they fucking hate listed us. Listed the embargoes and stuff. Really? Yeah, I was gonna say I when thought, like, wait, why can't I not buy Cubans in the store yet? Well, they they yeah. canceled it when Trump came into office. He canceled oh, it. That was like one of the first things he did was cancel the uh, agreement. Yeah, it was a very very short window where they allowed people over, and I wonder when they were doing that if they let guys off the base go into town. Probably not I still. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, that's a W huge because they have all these like agreements and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm I'm sure he's dead. That's by why now. we. That's, that's why we even have a base there is because what we well, I think we lease the land for like 200 years or some shit for like a dollar. There's some like crazy contract. That's why we even have a base there. Like they don't want us there, or no, the no, yeah. the government doesn't want us yeah. there. I don't know what the people know. Well, but. yeah, it goes way back the Cuban Missile Crisis and yeah. all that. But uh, yeah, but, so. Yeah, it is a lease, but I'd say it's it's what that was that when the like in the fifties, so, yeah, sixties was the Cuban missile. Did you guys have any? Did you guys have any cool missions while you were at Fast? Did you do anything? Did you ever get called up for anything cool? Or was a lot of training for something that never really happened? Yeah, pretty much just a lot of training for something that never happens. What um, was the original mission of Fast Company? Um, what's the all right, what's that other? It was a Men of Honor. Is the one I was other thinking of where they go to the embassy? To yeah, with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, waste the motherfuckers. That's the Fast Company mission right there. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> embassy reinforcement. Yeah, embassy okay. reinforcement and you know yeah or like evacuation missions. There's um, a lot of you units do a lot on of site for security that. training. Like, I mean, you're not gonna find anyone better putting up triple strand concertina wire than <laughs> the Fast Marines. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder when the last time one of those guys were called up and actually did like a reinforcement mission. You know, there was some shit happening over in like Africa not too long ago, like within the last like three years, and I think they evacuated the embassy. They when the Benghazi thing happened, I know that they were like on the flight line ready to go to that. Yeah, out uh, of out of Spain, out of Rota. Yeah, because uh, wasn't the flight time too long to get there though, or some shit. That's what the news told you, yeah. but it wasn't. It's, I mean, think about it. The distance from Rota to Spain is... You mean Rota to Libya? Or, yeah, from Rota to Libya. I mean, that's closer than flying across the United States, and across the United States is what, like... Five hours, five six hours? hours so. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but I do know to... that they were, like, in camis. You know, here's all the good you need. You know, we're wearing camis, and they're like... Oh, no, no, no. Go take that shit off. Go put civilian clothes on. Oh, really? Yeah, because they do, like, depending on, you know, how you go in. Um, like, that's how when, like, we went to Panama to uh, do some training. And we flew into Panama in civilian clothes. And then, like, no customs, no nothing. <laughs> like That's the, cool. The National that's Police convenient. and the Panamanian Marines come in and, like, you get on this bus, <laughs> and then we just like go. Um, yeah, that was a good time, in Panama. Like, yeah, I never got to go to South America. That's something I always wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, the whole the whole like call up though. I, I well, I actually knew a guy who went to Libya with recon before Benghazi happened because they were doing stuff out of there, and um, 
He's got some photos of him both in uniform and in civvies. And I guess they had, you know, they were doing a bunch of different stuff out there. But I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, he showed me a picture. I was like, oh, is that in Afghanistan? He's like holding a, the, uh, what is it, the Mark 34 or whatever, the grenade launcher. And uh, I was like, is that in Afghanistan? He's like, no, that's when I was in Libya. I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Like, cool. Yeah, when was I that? Mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They get, like, activated to, like, be on standby. Like, all right, you're, get ready. You know, it might pop. So, I mean, we were on that when, uh, when was that, 2009 or 2010, when the, all the riots and stuff were going on in Thailand. Mm, okay. They got us on standby to go out there and reinforce the embassy for that, and then they never did. So when you go on standby, is it just like, get to the shop, get all your shit ready, and just yeah, sit there and wait and see what happens, or? Yeah, well, so, if you're deployed, I think it's, like, if you're, you know, out on the FDP, like the four deployed uh, platoons are in like Japan, Spain, and uh, Bahrain. Yeah. All they have to be, I think it's like 48 hours. They have to be ready to, to roll in like 48 hours, no matter what they're doing. Um, and then there's a Alpha One platoon, which is they're in the U.S., um, but they're like on this. Alpha One status where they have to be, I think it's like 24 hours. So yeah. they can't go anywhere. You know, you know, so, like most anything. units, there's like contingency plans yeah. for stuff like that. Like Anglico had like, like a response time. Packed, ready to go. Yeah. Know, and no one's taking leave. No one's going out of town or anything like that. You know. So, what were your thoughts when you got orders from Fast to Anglico? Because that's where you went, right? Right after? Yeah. Well, I picked Anglico. Oh, did you? Yeah. They let you pick? Um, nice. I don't know. You might have. Known him, uh, Sergeant Machado. Yeah. Yeah. So he was my instructor in comm school. So that's how I knew him. And then when I was in Gitmo, he was at Gitmo. And so I got to talking and he was telling me about Anglico. And he was like, yeah, like it's super high speed, low drag stuff. He's like, I was there before I went to be an instructor at comm school, you know? And he's like, yeah. And I got orders from here and going back there and stuff. He's like, you should go, you should go. And it's like, tell me about it. And like the jump bill and all that stuff. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Sounds good. Um, so when it came time to reenlist, you know, first reenlistment, so they get to, you get to choose your, uh, they let you, you know, pick your duty station. So he's like, yeah, what are three options? I'm like, Anglico, Anglico, or Anglico? <laughs> um, he's like, all right, no, you gotta have three. So, Thank God I got you because I I chose uh, one of my other options was first LAR because I didn't know anything about LAR. I just knew like some guys that had been there and like, yeah, it seemed okay. Like they seemed yeah. like they had an okay time. But man, once I go to Anglico and I saw first LAR, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't get orders yeah. there. <laughs> Out there on the ramp. Yeah. Cleaning stuff all the time. I bet it's better to be a radio operator at first LAR than it is with like MLG, any unit in MLG. You know, I mean, depends how you look at it. Like eighth, if com, you're looking at like career like progression, it's better to be at eighth com. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the comparison is you're sitting around messing with record oh, yeah. jackets all I day. Mean, if you're looking yeah. at like if you actually get to you know go do, do something, do stuff, yeah. But uh, I mean, even being a radio operator Anglico is better than being the radio operator fast. Oh, uh, I'm sure. In terms of career progression, yeah. Like I got to Anglico, and there were guys that were sergeants already that had picked up like eight months before and 
had less time in service than me hmm. <laughs> because you know at fast i'm the only radar operator in my platoon and i'm working for you know a what, 0369 is that the infantry platoon sergeant yeah um, and then the lieutenant he's an infantry officer you know so they don't know my job at all um and basically i'm getting judged against the other guys in the platoon that are you know like the same rig, yeah. and stuff. So I'm kind of getting screwed in terms of, you know, pros and cons and stuff. Yeah. But in the terms of, you know, knowledge and skill sets and everything way ahead of all those guys. Yeah. You know? So that was like the trade off. I mean, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad things went the way they did. Like by the time I got to Anglico, I mean, I remember like going to, talk to the guys to see if I was cool enough to uh, get on the FIC 4 <laughs> when they they dropped uh, what was his name? Peter oh, if they drop somebody, you don't have to say their name. <laughs> yeah. No, that's going to be putting people's names out there yeah, that fucked up. I don't think anybody would know, know him anyways. But they dropped this kid because he was like freaking out. Didn't want to deploy. So they were like looking around and they came to a comm shop. And they just grabbed the first guy that, like, they went in, like, seniority. Who's, who checked in last, you know? Or, uh, you know, but who checked in has been here the longest that's ready to go. So they grabbed this one guy, and they took him on one field up, and they're like, nope. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> they sent him back. Because he came from, uh, he came from battery. So all he knew was how to do, like, VHF and set up a gun loop. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. You, know? and you need to know more than that at Anglico. Or yeah, that, but I mean, what boot knows more than that, anyways? Though. Well, no, these are. He was a. I'd rather have an Artie, he was a guy that was with an yeah, Artie he battalion. Was, he was like me, just PCS there from the battery. Um, you know, so just by Marine Corps, you know, as a 0601 field radar operator, just by what the standards are, he should have known more than that. But yeah. it's just the way shit works, you know. Anglico is definitely a place where it promotes like really good communicators. You know, there's a lot of onus on being oh, good yeah. at your job and knowing more than you should. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care you didn't go to Mountain Com. You better figure out how to do HF because yeah. we're doing a shot in a couple days. And that's, and that's where I got my leg up being at FAST. I was the only comm guy, so I had to figure out how to do it. Yeah, you're forced so I'd already, to. Like, when I got to Anglico and we're doing dedicated satcoms, I'm like, ooh, easy as pie. You know, because I came from FAST where we don't have dedicated satcom. We're doing... uh what's it called da dama? Dama. dama yeah we're doing dama demand access like multiple assignments um i have no that, idea <laughs> so the, i mean it's satcom but it's like you got a, the, the satellite positions change changing all the time based off of you know what satellite you're going to assign to and you can get booted on and off based off how important you the are priority. to the other guys that are trying to use the bandwidth and stuff. Yeah. You know, I had to do an HF. I mean, I remember we were practicing HF. We used to do HF shots from Japan back to Virginia and vice versa. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I was I was at the skill level for a radar operator where you need to be in Anglico, whereas, you know, most radar operators, they came from somewhere else weren't at that level yet. I think the best radio operators that come out of an RD battalion, and I'm biased, is the guys that come out of the liaison teams, the, the fire oh, support yeah. teams, you know, because they're working 
all the normal artillery communications and stuff like that, but they're also getting attached to infantry units and doing different stuff. They yep. have to set up comm for TCP shoots because, you know, they still do that over there as well. Um, so I think overall those dudes are better because if you're a battery guy, if you're with the guns, then if you're not in the field, you're sitting in comm cages, fucking yeah. flipping open record jackets and doing oh, yeah, the standard. Even the guy that came from, like, 8th comm, they wouldn't be ready to do what the radar operator used to do at Anglico because they don't – there's no reason for him to do that stuff. So they don't yeah. learn a lot of it. What know? year did you get to Anglico? First Anglico? Two, January 2011. What year did you get there? Were you already there then? No, I got there later in 11, right before the deployment. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even meet him until we were already on deployment. Oh, uh, okay. So let's let's kind of frame the picture. So 2011, you got there early on in the year. And yeah. w- at what point did they tell you guys, like, hey, the entire unit's going to deploy? Oh, they already knew. Oh, so they already knew when yeah. you got there. I So I went there. I was, I like skipped uh, the opportunity. I was like, no, I won't go to jump, you know, because I could have gone, done that too. Like my buddies were like, yeah, I'll go to jump school or whatever. And then someone's like, no, no, no. The company's deploying. Get here quick or you're going to miss it. And I got there, and they're like, oh, no, the deployment's full. You're staying here. I was like, crap. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Skip jump school for this. Damn. That um, sucks. Luckily, that, you know, well, luckily for me, that one guy, you know, had his freak out or whatever and decided not to go. So I was able to jump on it last minute. Um, I mean. What kind of training were you guys doing to get ready for a company deployment? Were, was the expectation that the company was going to work yeah. disaggregated? already like we already know when we get to the when we get to afghanistan like all the teams are going yeah, different places yeah. Every, because mm-hmm. we all we all uh we just dropped in on teams that were already out so what was the company okay well then well, before the we company start deployment's not really different than the platoon deployment because you're still out there with your team you don't see anybody else for mm-hmm. the most part well like, before we start talking about that i want to talk to get tracy's perspective so where were you at before you came to First Anglico? Were you already a sergeant major then? Yes. Yeah, I was at I and I duty. I and I duty. Okay. And I didn't like it. <laughs> and uh, what? I think I told you. So yeah. I, I had a buddy that his sons are autistic, and when I was doing an event up there in in Oregon, uh, one of the you know raise funds for kids events or whatever, I met the. Uh, the president of the Autism Child Autism Society of America. Yeah. Who lived just across the border in Washington. And uh, he, you know, I struck up a conversation. He told me about the the best school for kids with autism is in that area. Mm. So I called my buddy that was down here. He was a sergeant major. And I was like, hey, dude, I know you want to get out of California. You want to get your kids out of that school system. I just talked to this guy, gave him his number, you know, and. And I said, let's trade because I wanted to go back to SOI. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he was slotted to take, to go to Anglico. So I was like, oh, I'll go there. That'll get me back in SoCal, uh, you know, and. Had you ever worked with Anglico prior to that? Did you really uh, know anything about them? No, I, I'd been on, a, you know, a UDP where they had an Anglico they team. Had attachment there, yeah. But I didn't know anything about them. Yeah. You know? It's one of those weird units where, like, nobody in the Marine Corps knows who yeah. they are or what they do unless they've, like, directly worked with them. The, Anglico? Angle what? Yeah. <laughs> Anglico, uh, what's it called? Angel Company or Anglico or yeah, you know, whatever yeah. they pronounce it. So did you know when you were when you were showing up, you were going right on deployment? Yeah, so that was how I got it done. 
he was already slotted. My buddy was already slotted to go to Anglico. Mm-hmm. And I begged the monitor, like, hey, dude, let us trade. Um, I shot myself in the foot with the SOI deal because I had talked to um, the star major down there. And, and I had told him, like, hey, I got three years left and I want to make the biggest impact I can on young NCOs in that last three years. And he took that as, oh, you're on the retirement train. So he, what I was sending, he wasn't receiving. And uh, so my other buddy, Santiago, who was a first sergeant there, he called me and said, hey, man, you shot yourself in the foot. Sergeant Major talking shit about you. And I was like, all right. So I begged the monitor. I'm like, hey, dude, give me those orders to Anglico and, and let him come here. And that's when he said, hey, Anglico deploys in like 60 days. I'm like, I'm on it, dude. Sounds Let's awesome. go. Yeah, I got to get the hell out of the country. <laughs> so so when you showed up to Anglico and you guys did your like, you know, left seat, right seat, flipped out with the, you know, the new sergeant major, or you're the new sergeant major coming in. Like, were you, were you ready to go on deployment? Were you got kind of pumped for it? Or you're like, fuck man, like I'm not. Oh no, yeah, I was ready to go. I, I left one five. I did three deployments with them, four deployments with them. Went on I and I duty. I shot myself in the foot on that deal too. I waited till the end of the deployment to call the monitor. Uh-huh. And the only spot he had already slotted me. I was the last one to slot and he had already slotted me for I and I duty. I wanted to stay at one five. Yeah. And, uh, so I couldn't get out of it. And so that was my chance to get out of it early and get, because I was super depressed when I left one five, you spend, you know, you do four deployments, three or four deployments in a row with one unit. And then all of a sudden you're in getting your home taken from you. Yeah. You're in Oregon, which is a cool place, but, it's not the same. It's not one five. Yeah, you're not in. You're not going on deployment. They're deploying. Yeah, people deploying. It was an engineer unit, but you're not going anywhere. You're not shooting anybody. You're not. You go from, you know, eight thousand RPMs to idle. Yeah. So when you got to the company, then what was like the command vibe of like what was going to happen during the deployment? You already knew it was going to be disaggregated ops, right? <laughs> like. What was what was your going to be your role? What was the command headquarters or the company headquarters going to be doing? Uh, well, we you go to Leatherneck, you split everybody up. Everybody goes out to their spots, wherever all over the country, and then the company you just do everything you can to support those guys. So we flew, we'd fly out every you know every chance we got. We like twice a week or whatever to different fobs, and then ask them, Hey, what do you need? Oh, we need a big fan. You know, we need whatever they needed, you know? And then so there's a good gig for you. Cause you got to go all over the place. Oh yeah. yeah. We had a, we had a, a Huey, a dedicated Huey. It wasn't dedicated to us really, but it had the first Anglico emblem on the nose. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, that's cool. Yeah. It was, it was badass, man. And then the CO, he was a Cobra pilot. So he knew those guys in the air wing. Oh, okay. So we're like, Hey, we want to fly to here and to there. And then you just come back. And I just had a little list, one of these be like, Hey, Brooks or the supply guy. Hey, I need two of these, five of these. I need a generator. I need this, that put on a bird and fly it to wherever. Mm -hmm. And then you just go to the next spot. What do they need? That's a good gig. That's why one of the reasons Anglico is like such a fun unit to be at is because there are no junior officers. Like they're all like senior lieutenants or captains. And 
they all have like relationships with other people, especially the pilots. Yeah. yeah. So you can leverage that. It's not even leveraging. It's not like you're doing anything wrong. They just know what questions to ask or who to talk to. What the to right make word is. Happen. Yeah, the terminology. TACP shoots constantly because dudes would call their homie over at the squadron and be like, hey, man, what are you guys doing next week? Oh, you need a JTAC? Cool. Yeah. We'll be out there. Yeah. So, yeah. When you guys, okay, so when you guys got to country, what were the teams split up to do? Like what? Because I know there were different missions. There were guys that, and maybe not on this deployment, but I know, in Anglico's past, guys supported Georgian missions. There were some yeah. guys that that supported task force missions with like the you know SF dudes, yeah, SAS dudes. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah, we had we had a team who went out and worked with the ODA, and we had. Were they with them the entire time? Now, when these guys went places, were they staying? They were supporting you know that unit the entire time wherever they went. No, nah, not necessarily. I mean, just depends. We started out in. That place it's like it's south of Lashkar Gah. Okay, yeah, what four or five? Oh, yeah, commandos. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah KES that AO was like it was dead, so we're like, let's go somewhere else. That was <laughs> like, east of Marja, yeah, yeah. So, like a month later, after being there, you know, we hopped in the truck, gathered up all our shit, and drove to what's that other one? Uh, Shit, I can't remember any of the names. Was this was in 2011? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if go. it was in Price. Fall Price, Price. Yeah, yeah, Fall Price. Outside of uh, Goresh. Yep. Um, I think we had a team down there supporting 3-6, either from you guys or a different Anglico, uh, a firepower control team that would bounce from company FOB to company FOB, depending on where we needed them. This is with 3-6 three, three, six six in 2011. Down, that's... I know there was a 6 Marine element, like, that bordered our AO when we were down there, like uh, down by Lashkar Gah when we first got there. Yeah, I knew a guy was over there because we had like we had all their rail. We had like we you shared probably all had... our comm stuff with them because I had one of my old Marines happen. I was like, "Hey, is this Jacobs?" <laughs> like I got him on the radio. And he's like, "Yeah, who this?" <laughs> Uh, just so happened. But. You might have been. It might have been one six because we also had Charlie one six attached to us, and they were in the northern part of Marja, what we called, uh, I think we called that KES is what it was called. And it was like... Um, yeah, yeah, we were just north of there. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably who... Yeah, cool. Weird time. So what were you? What was your task? You were just going around supporting as, just, as necessary? Yeah, we just... I mean, first we were down there with four or five commando, and that was bunk. What? So we got in the truck and headed out to Gresk, uh, to Price. And so then we... Pretty much we got attached to... Salt Alpha, because um, we were just out way outside of Bravo's uh, AO now, and then from there, so we we'd go out to this little checkpoint, Yakshaw. This little tiny A and A checkpoint on the Route One, right off the of Route One. I'm talking like nothing's there. Uh, we're we had camionetting. It was like a piece of camionetting, you know, big enough for like maybe one third of all the guys that were there. We were working. We were working with the uh, 9th, 12th Royal Lancers now, um, doing you know all sorts of just patrol ops with them out of this little checkpoint. But all we had just like the camionetting. I mean, and then everything else like your own battery power. Like I read a bunch of books. You know, it's so hot during the day at that point. It's like, 
during you go in the morning, go patrol, and then you patrol like in the evening. And during the day, you're just like trying not to die from heat exhaustion. Yeah, that shit's real. <laughs> but I would people I would, don't like, know reading. Mm-hmm. I was I'd, I was tearing through books because this is nothing else, and you can't really sleep during the day because it's so hot. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's like the, a, the your cot changes like. It goes like 10 shades darker because it's all the sweat that gets yeah. into it. You wake up dehydrated. It's yeah. so gross, man. And that was on like, you know, when it was nice. And then at night, you know, it's like, all right. It's bearable. You know, there's a lot of nights we were like sleeping under the trucks because they plop mortars at us all the time. And then we'd get up all pissed off and shoot mortars back at them. <laughs> um, <coughs> and yeah, just south of us, there's called Route California. And that was like the flat. And... Basically, if you cross Route California or if you just walk up and down Route California, you're getting in a firefight. Yeah. So we're like, this is awesome. We go down there. And just like, <laughs> Would you guys ever push across, though? Try to like, go on yeah, the fences? Yeah, we, at first we used to go all, we'd go across it. With the, with the Brits? Yeah, with, with the Night 12th. And then we'd take our little A&A guys with us, too. Um, but yeah, we'd go across it and we'd get in gunfights and you know, drop bombs on people. And you know, it, was, it was a blast. Unfortunately, you know, the battle group had other ideas of how things were supposed to be going in that AO. They were trying to like, oh, no, it's it's quiet now. Like, we're going to turn it over to the A&A. Mm. Like, it's not quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're hitting IDs. We're getting gunfights. Like, it's not quiet. They're like, oh, well, um, yeah, you guys can't go south of uh, Route California anymore. So we're like, okay, well, we'll just walk up and down it, getting gunfights. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, they're still getting... All right, um, you're not allowed to go further south than 500 meters from the Route 1. I'm like, okay. So, so like, well, let's go north of the Route 1. So we figured out if we go north a little ways, same thing. <laughs> you find some guys to fight. So then they're just like, all right, basically, don't leave the Route 1. So after a month of being stuck in that situation, we're like, well, nothing to do here now. Um, they basically just killed it. And so we stopped going and we eventually moved up to Karnica. But it was it was kind of upsetting that what happened there, though, because by like, we would for, I don't know, maybe half a month, three weeks, we were doing other stuff after we stopped going there. So we'd still drive by that place all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we went from us getting in firefights down south of this place to now there's trucks blown up on the side of the road in that same location daily. Just because they're not being aggressive and pushing yeah. back against them. Yeah. But it's, the British had a different like set of ROEs and we were, since we yeah. were, since we were south of that position, we were like south and then southwest. We had the, uh, we had the commando unit there also, the Royal Marine unit that was there that you were talking about. And mm-hmm. then when they switched, because we butted up against them, we actually had a, a liaison dude in our COC and they would call back and forth and stuff like that. And I remember one time they called, I was like doing something on my computer or something like that. And the, the NATO phone rang and I'm like, Oh, okay. Who's, you know, I'm sitting next to us. So I answered. I'm like, yeah, three, six fires, you know, Sergeant Kramer. And this dude's like, Oh, good evening, mate. Like uh, we have, it uh, looks like three IED in place. So it was a uh, grid one, two, three. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like, hold on. Give me, let me get a pin. And they were telling us because it was on the border. It was on the road that bordered the, between the two AOs because they couldn't do anything about it. And they know yeah. we could. So he sent us that information and I was like yelling it to the S2 guy. And we actually shot a couple high Mars at them, but they, we feel like they might've had some kind of spotter because, but, 
not long after we had shot, after the HIMARS rocket shot, because we shot two, um, they took off running. Oh, you mean like guys watching the HIMARS location? Yeah. I've yeah. heard of that. And I don't, maybe, maybe oh, no, not. They do that. Maybe not, but they were, they moved out of there real quick. Yeah, you no, know, within, I we, we barely missed them. Yeah. I want to doubt it because we used to do these things called op archers. Mm hmm. Where basically, like, we call in, we'd get air on station and then we'd hold them out and basically just wait. Because they can, you know, they're, uh, you hold them outside of audible range and then they're only, you know, like a couple clicks from, you know, point of fire. So, uh, or no. So we had one sitting outside of audible range, but then we'd bring the other guy in the section up overhead. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, if he's overhead, they knew that he couldn't shoot him. So then they'd start messing around with us. And then we're like, ah, got you. Cause we had this other guy. This other dude. Well, then they picked up on it. Cause next thing you know, it's like. We'd hold some, you know, hold the birds out of audible range, and the guy you'd be watching the guys on, you know, the you know, PGSS and stuff like yeah, that. The blimp and, and stuff. They, uh, yeah, they they definitely had guys out there watching. So they definitely learned our SOPs. We oh, used yeah. we had the um, we had the radios where you could hear them. What, I don't remember what we called them, but we we could hear their conversations, and our linguist would actually carry it around. He would actually we had to say something to him multiple times because his name was Zap. He was a former tiger team guy like the ana like i don't know special operations or something like that but he could make more money being a linguist so he came over to be a linguist for us and he would talk shit to the taliban dudes he'd be like we're gonna fuck it you know we're gonna kill you and they'd be like we're gonna kill you and then they're like we're gonna chop you and the americans heads off and shit i'm like bro quit talking shit to these dudes Get them all riled up out there, you know oh, what I'm saying? Well, that is all time too, and we'd be like, "Yeah, tell them, you tell them." But I remember one time we had some dudes that were they were firing. I think they were firing at us, or they were firing at our ANA. I can't remember. And I had a Harrier on station, and the three four wouldn't clear anything. So I was going to have him come in and do a show of force, but with a uh, gun profile, like he was diving, like he was going to be doing a gun run, and. He comes around and he starts diving and the Taliban dude comes over the radio and tells his guys like, don't move. He's not actually going to shoot. He's just faking you. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, yeah. they, like, ah. you yeah. know, that's just so frustrating that they wouldn't let us fire yeah. on. I don't know. Why, After Yakshaw. So we went up to this place called Karnica where one of the other fix, I want to say it was like Fick Bravo because it was Hipple and Cerise forget who else was with them but they went up to this place Karnica for like two weeks and we're just laying out mad fires so and then they left and we're like oh well, we're not doing anything like let's go up there so we went up there and that's where we finished out our deployment like three months up there were there any teams on the Georgian liaison teams at the same time were you guys supporting the Georgian mission yeah yeah. yeah we had three or yeah. assault I think it was and then the fix were because they had three positions yeah, it was who uh, I think it was Charlie. I think it was Salt Charlie was on the on the Georgian mission. So a quick rundown for people that may not be familiar with how Anglico operates. You have your firepower control team, your FICT, which is either four or five guys. And then you have your SALT, which is your supporting arms liaison team, which is generally two firepower control teams and a headquarters element, which can also produce their own firepower control team. And then within the brigade, you have two of those supporting arms liaison teams. And then within the company, you have two brigades. And then if it's plussed up, they have a third brigade that they'll use for like training and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it works. So, and the entire unit's less than 175 people, you yeah, know. I think we were like 189. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's less than two hundred for sure. We're up there in the numbers. And so well, when I, mean, I think the whole like when when I was in the three, I think our whole our total numbers were like one eighty nine. Yeah, we, yeah. That, and we had gotten rid of well, I guess it was probably about the same because we had already gotten rid of uh, what third brigade by that time. So when you guys were deploying dudes out or pushing guys out and. And when you got to Afghanistan, were you trying to keep the salts together or were fixed kind of, or were the salts breaking up and fixed going out and doing their own thing? Um, I don't remember really. It's, um, a little I mean, bit of both. Initially, like that's the idea, but it's like you had. What? Trying to keep them all together. Alpha, yeah. But from like the get go, fixed alpha, which I thought was silly that <laughs> the salt lead and the salt chief both. You know, and then took one radio operator and went off and did this ODA mission. Like, they might be going, like, aren't you kind of just abandoning your job there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take advantage. But, so they're um, they're gone, you know, and they pretty much never get seen again uh, until, like, the end of the deployment. And then, yeah, and then, like, we got attached to Salt Alpha because we were so far out of Bravo's AO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, Fick three ended up coming too, so then Bravo like wasn't even doing anything, so they ended up moving up to Ulet, Cop Ulet. I've heard um, of that. I've never been there though. That's the one where who was it? Is uh, it Dark Dark Horse or whatever? Where they had like those twenty one back in the day? Who were they? What are you talking about? What, the Sangin deployment? I think it was 5th Marines. That was one of their... Uh, I don't think it, it wasn't called Ulet back then. It was something else. Yeah. Um, the Marines used to own that, though. And they had... Yeah, some Marine Corps unit. They had a bunch of KAA there when they had a really bad deployment. And then afterwards, the Brits came in. Um, and they went from having a whole, like, uh, battalion covering on the AO to the Brits were just like a company basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a bunch of, I think the common theme for the British deployments were that they were just, they were just holding their individual fobs yeah. and like a hundred meters outside of it. And outside of that, see, they didn't really from Carnica, we could see you let and they could see us. So like whenever they got in firefights, they'd be like, Hey, what's going on there? Ooh. Oh, watching, yeah, the, watching yeah. the tracer yeah. fire. Same stuff. thing looking at us. You know? They're like, yo, what happened that day? Cause we got in probably the biggest firefight of the whole deployment. Like the day before, oh really? We pulled out uh, at the end of deployment. Um, yeah, and they were like, "Yo, damn!" We were like, "What was all that?" Because I think we we Winchestered like six sections of uh, aircraft, like A tens. We had Cobras. I mean, what was the enemy composition? Like, what were you? What were they? Uh, well, so the reason it was so crazy is because they were there were some like out of area fighters. Mm-hmm. And so the local guys who, you know, knew the SOPs and everything, like they don't pass on that information. They're just like, yeah, you can go hit them from these places, and it's like, you know, immediately it's not the normal guys. You're like, they're still shooting at us, and it's been five minutes. They're in the same building. Do they realize they're about to get blown the hell up? Yeah. Because <laughs> we had, I mean, we, everything like sending grids for stuff. Like the only time you ever really did that as if someone didn't have that a grg because the rest of the time you just be like yeah you know postal code mike golf you know building three five you know, oh yeah got it yeah <laughs> it's already laid in like especially with on the mortars 
or it's already pre-planned. Even artillery, pre-planned. they have. Yeah, we had pre-planned targets out to A. Yeah, we for, used to shoot so much. <laughs> the uh, battle group, they put a limit. They're like, hey, no more than ten rounds. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, without battle group approval. <laughs> at least you guys had that kind of flexibility with the with the infantry battalions. It wasn't that, or at yeah. least the ones I worked with, they weren't. Oh, I don't no, know. No. We used to, they weren't all about approving stuff like what that. What we used to do is we we'd screen them, we throw artillery down, and they'd be like, "Oh shit, artillery!" So they turn around, and run the other way, and they'd be like, "Got him!" And then we just pump them with mortars, just get them. Good yeah. times. That was Good that was times. probably the best three months of my life. So exciting, <laughs> like constantly. That's one of those things, though, when you get away from it, you're like, God, it's probably a good time to step away. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I got out of this alive. Leaving the winter. Yeah, yeah actually, but it, after we, like, that, like the week after we left, that Karnak guy got fucked up. We yeah. Lost, they lost a couple guys that we knew from, the, like, the Brits. Really? Um, yeah, the, uh, we were working with the, what do they call them, Yorkshire Regiment, they're the Royal Gurkhas. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Those dudes pretty cool? Um, I've always heard Gurkhas are... You know they have a, they're legendary. Yeah. You know everyone's heard they're of a little them. Bit, they got a little bit more hype than they deserve, in my opinion. I mean, great guys, but they're still they were still you know British military. So they're like, dude, one of the Gurkhas got a Victorian cross for like he killed a dude with his that Gurkha sword. Yeah, like that was yeah, one the of the weapons he the Kukri. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he beat a dude a with a helmet. Like he killed like a bunch of dude hand to hand combat. That's yeah. pretty wild. That's crazy though. Yeah, I never got to work with those guys. Yeah, they're That's... good. They're good guys, but um, and yeah, unfor- I mean, I, I guess it's not really their fault. It's just unfortunately they, the British military is, you know, like you said, their ROEs are different and stuff. That's that's why they always the Brits always loved having us around because yeah, we had ROEs that would let us do. They're like, we can't do anything, but you guys can. <laughs> you know? Yeah, God. that was like when it was if you knew. If you knew a uh, like a French aircraft was checking on, yeah. the odds of them actually being able to drop bombs for you yeah, was like right. next to zero. Like you'd have to be basically have casualties before they're gonna drop just because of their country's There's one day we ROEs. Were, yeah, we were in the shit and Mirage shows up and we're like, no, we need people that can actually drop uh, stuff. Need, Man, get yeah. the hell out of here. I, get work done over it here. It might have been you that told me that. Like they never, you guys would never, um. Never ask for the French, you know, Never, like, no, nah, we don't want those guys. Yeah, that, and then the ROEs 2013, that deployment, it was, the French went around, but we had the Jordanians, Thebes. Thebes, Thebes 3-1. And we're like, no, 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 man. Uh, I never worked with any Jordanian pilots. Yeah, most of the times I'd get those guys on station, I'd just be like, I'd basically just have them fly in circles, and like, yeah, tell me if you see anything fishy down in this area. <laughs> that, well, was the Jordanians, would they shoot for you? No. Because, I mean, even if they would, I mean, good luck communicating that, that oh. nylon, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. You can barely understand them, so. Yeah. Did Anglico take any casualties on that deployment? Sanchez lost his leg yeah. from the below the knee. I think that was it. Though. That was it. That was yeah. the only. ID blast? Yeah, he yeah. stepped on ID. That was when they were out of Ouellette. I remember that day because I'm like, oh shit, there's something going on up there, and then I hear it come over the comms. Yeah, well, was they were like on a foot patrol or something. Yeah, obviously, I guess. Yeah. Man, yep. that sucks. That's the worst thing, definitely, in Afghanistan was the IEDs, like because it's the unknown. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you were going into an area where it was like a historic area that they would put stuff. Yeah. And we had a um, in Sangin, we had we watched these guys and place an IED piece by piece in a culvert. You know, underneath the road, 
and the three four chain of command were like, well, they were what they would do is there was like two or three guys. They would run from this compound that was near the road. They'd run out and put down like the jug and then run back. And then they'd run out and throw down the wire and then run back. Because they knew when they were in the compound, we couldn't do anything. However, the compound was a building that had already been bombed out. There was no roof. Like, we could see them inside the compound. RPG leaning against the wall. You know, gun leaning against the wall. But it was still considered a compound that could be housing civilians. So we weren't allowed to do anything about it. And they would run out and be real quick. And we had a Harrier on station. I talked about Alcala uh, Stork in the last episode. He was trying to get a control in. They had this Harrier come around, and we were trying to get the timing right so that he was like in the right place for when they would run out to put a piece in that they would you know be in for the attack. And the one time that I think it was all synced up and everything would have worked out and the battalion had already approved it, the aircraft was coming in, and he was like getting ready to give clearance and the company commander told him to abort it. And they were like, why? Like, after he aborted him, he's like, why did you have me abort it? And he's like, I just wanted to make sure battalion was definitely okay with us dropping. And we're like, so so we, we ended up not getting these guys. They got away, sent some Afghans down to take care of the IED. But that was on Route 611 through Sangin. So every time we went over that bridge at Culvert, it was like, uh, uh, Like, just brace. Like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay. Ooh, and that became a checkpoint. We'd be like, hey, we're passing the culvert. <laughs> like, everyone knew the culvert and would be ready to go. Yep. Oh, man. Fuck yeah. that. We got, I think, at least from my perspective, we got pretty lucky that deployment for not having any Anglico guys because we definitely had, you know, coalition guys that we were working with getting hit. Yeah. Shit, we had one day. We were, this is like, this might have been the last patrol we did in Yakshaw. Uh, it wasn't out of that checkpoint, but we met up with, I think Vic three came out and stuff too. And we did like a joint little deal or whatever. And me and Rojas, uh, he was the JFO on my team at the time. We were on this patrol kind of heading south. And this next thing I know, I'm like, in the air, flying, like, whoa. <laughs> uh, and then I just remember, like, it's dusty, and I'm looking around, I'm like, where am I? What's going on here? And there's Rojas, and I, my ears are ringing, and I just see his, see him, his lips moving and stuff. I'm like, huh? Huh? And finally he starts coming through. He's like, are you okay? And his, the look on his face has... It like oh shit what happened to me because like, yeah he looked around, I start looking around and I'm like yep. yeah I'm good I'm good and I look behind me and there's this hole that's like deep yeah and then there's just a rifle and some glasses next to the hole I'm like where'd that guy go oh fuck <laughs> I thought the guy just like evaporated you know because I'm my feet are like almost touching the hole um. But didn't get him either. Like, me and him both took a little, you know, some, like, rocks and stuff, like, got lodged in our skin and stuff. But that was it. What, they just bury it too deep? Um, I think it was, yeah, it was too deep. And the road surrounding it was, like, it was some of that, you know, Real hard, hard packed mud that just, like, had been cooked. So it had probably been there for a little bit and had kind of. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, like, you know, the, the dirt over the hole was just way softer. So it just. Because uh, it's a low order debt is what they would always call Cunningham it. Cunningham and Fig, they were back at 
the PB. And when we got back there, like, apparently they were calling us on the radio this whole time, but, like, I couldn't hear shit, so I didn't even bother. We're just like, yeah, we're, like, we're on our way back. <laughs> you're, and that was it. You're lucky you didn't, like, like break your like leg or something. mushroom cloud. They're like, we thought everybody was this, this big. I'm like, no, we're good. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I got a concussion because I remember climbing up into the turret to go back to Price. And I feel like it was just, like, next thing I knew, like, oh, wait, we're here? Like, I don't remember the whole 45-minute drive. Oh, dude. There. <laughs> and we, we get there, and it was, oh, uh, shit, who was the, I mean, uh, Major P was there, and who was our, I'm trying to think of who our platoon sergeant was there at that time. Oh, uh, you don't know. You know him. I can't remember his name right now. But they were there, and I just remember getting on the truck, and my ears were ringing. I can't hear shit. And I'm like, these guys are clearly upset because they're yelling. I'm <laughs> like, what's going on? I'm looking at Rojas, and he's like, I don't know either because I can't hear shit either. And then you hear their, uh, you see their facial expressions change once, like, Cunningham and Fig explained to him, like, yeah, these guys are just in this huge big IED blast. And I'm like, what? And then next thing you know, it's like they're shuffling us to our racks. And they're like, don't get up. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Stuck there for like a week. <laughs> like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm good now. Yeah, your back starts hurting. from. So I got a question for you. So you know when we'd fly out there, me and the colonel, we'd fly out. And we'd go on patrols, right? Like with the fix or the yeah. whatever. Be like, all right, what are you guys oh, really? doing? Yeah, we'd go out and be like, hey. Um, and I was like, dude, I already did this. But the CO was like, hey, I've never been in a grunt unit, never been on the ground. You know, I'm like, all right, well, let's go show face. And did you guys purposely take us places where very little was going on? Oh, yeah, that's definitely how it works. Because I've sat, I fell asleep one time where we were doing it with the Georgians. And, and we sit down and I'm like, dude, this is so freaking boring. <laughs> we haven't shot anybody all day. Yeah. You know? It's pretty quiet. I, I, know, I know some guys, like, we didn't go on patrol with you. When you came out, you only made out to us once when we were at that little crap checkpoint. That was the one with the little Afghan dudes? Yeah. I can't imagine. You tried to come out and visit us one time when we were at Carnica, but, like, we were just not, we weren't up to it, so we, like, made sure the bird truck canceled. I can't imagine the Battlespace commander enjoyed having a colonel, you know, lieutenant colonel out on a foot patrol with uh, in, in his AO. It's not fun when you're, like, Especially at that checkpoint when you're just, you're living in squalor, you know, yeah. it's like, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't been to a chow or anything in like weeks. Yeah. I, and I had actually like, I'd forgotten my, uh, my belt cause I'd always like take it off. And then, cause when I, I had a, uh, like a tactical belt that I wore, you know, so that would keep my pants up and I had like forgot it back at price. So you guys are coming to visit, and I'm like, and I don't have anything near what you consider, like, a legit Marine Corps uniform. Yeah. Put pants on. Sergeant Major's coming. <laughs> so I, like, borrowed this belt from one of the Brits that, like, looked good enough, but it was too small. So I'm like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was always just, like, it was kind of stressful having them come out because you're, like, trying to get your shit. Trying to make sure everything's like, good to go. like, a week and a half. That, that was when, uh, when, I, when we cast you back Sanchez. So what's the name of the British base right next to uh, Leatherneck um, Bastion Bastion mm. So the CO comes He's like Hey we got an amputee 
inbound. So I jumped in the little forerunner thing and flew over to Bastion and <clears throat> ran. I knew where they dropped people. I ran inside the hospital. And uh, there's Sanchez with um, sideburns. <laughs> he had sideburns because he didn't grow lots of hair right here, but he had these crazy, he was bald, but he had like yeah. these sideburns. Yeah, everybody was like grown. He had like yeah. a chin strap. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny looking. You can't really say anything when the guy's laying there in the well, hospital. Yeah, yeah and when you're working with the Brits, like they're... Their mindset on like haircuts and shaving and everything is like way different. Yeah. I mean, you had uh, you had guys in the Brits that had like full, just like handlebar mustaches, <laughs> massive. My fire looking glorious. My fire support <laughs> officer at the Eleventh Mew was with Second Anglico prior to that, and he worked with the Brits, and he had some fucking wicked mustache photos that they had got going on out there. Dude, worse they were them, the Danes. I yeah, I never worked with those. Yeah, the guys. Danes, Danes full beards. Yeah, and stuff. they're they're uh, what's it called? They're unionized. The damn military is unionized. Oh really? Yeah, so they have all these rules that, like, and uh, just the uh, there's quite the lack of discipline. We went to visit uh, was it Fic Two? I think uh, one time and they were because they were working with the Danes, and we go up to like the Sanger to check check out the AO, and there's just these two. Uh, females they got their kid off they got their freaking boots off they got their blouse off like they're just up there chilling like, yeah i mean if if, if there had been a pool i'd be like what are you guys lifeguards <laughs> oh that we got stuck somewhere we went out to visit somebody and we flew in and then we couldn't fly out so we're there for like three or four days uh-huh. and it was it was a little little tiny outpost and uh we were playing cards and stuff, but the Brits were getting ready to do their two-week vacation like or whatever, oh, yeah. mid-deployment thing. So, and it's tiny. So, you know, you're like, got your back against the sandbags, and we're playing cards and messing around, and they get a, an ass or a dick in the face because <laughs> the Brit is coming back, and he's got to get all tanned up because he's going on his two weeks. He's got his cot, and he's carrying it, and he's squeezing between the, us, and we had a, like a little table made out of a piece of... Um, Tesco barrier, that, yeah. you know, the wire. Yeah. We made a table out of it. And I'm like, dude. Those dudes yeah. like, like don't a, give a fuck. Yeah, it was like a Greek Got freaking. A lot, of, a lot of tanning going on with yeah. the Brits. Yeah, they were all getting tanned because they were going back for their two-week we're rotation. smoking on patrol. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah we were like, all right, we're stopping for a little bit. All right. <laughs> I seen guys on. <laughs> Which, on... I mean, yeah, you don't see in the Marine Corps, but it's like at the same time, you know, hey. They know we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen guys that are taking a pause in a patrol stop and smoke. Yeah. You know, like pop one in while they're like holding security on one direction or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Let's but yeah, you don't definitely don't see it very often though. There most most dudes aren't going to allow something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it gives away your position and stuff. I like going out with the Georgians for that reason. They would smoke and they were just you're on patrol and they're just Oh, yeah. They just don't care. And they, and they find a wall and sit on this side of the wall, but provide no security on the far side of the wall. Yeah. They're all taking naps. Yeah. You're like, dude, at least put somebody awake on the other side of the wall. I wonder yeah, if, right? you know, I'm not sitting there with you guys. Do they still have Georgian forces in Afghanistan right now? I got it. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if that mission was like completely ended. They were really good at, at um, their defensive positions. Yeah. Because when we fly into different spots, we go to the different, wherever we had a fict or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd get the Georgian guy to walk me around, and their their defensive positions were laid out really well. 
It was like old school, you know, they had oh, all yeah. grenades were hanging up on the piece of wood. They had the, if they had it carved, like the distance to each item out there, they were set up good, but they couldn't hit shit. No, no, but we got hit one time. They started like mortaring us or something at one of the outposts. And, uh, they had the Mark 19 and they were firing and it would do a wheelie because they didn't have the front sandbag down. So you go boom, 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 boom. And you could watch the impacts go boom, 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 back towards us. And about halfway through it, I was like, dude, I'm fucking done. But they had an Air Force pallet with kettlebells. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go work out. It's going to go work out while you I'm, do that. Yeah, they're all running around with no shirts on, shooting everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? This is. At first, I was all excited. Like, hey, we're going to get to shoot somebody. And then I was watching them. I'm like, to hell with that, man. Yeah, Thanks. I've heard working with the Georgians is kind of, you know, it can be rough sometimes. I, I've never it worked with them. I've only seen them a few times. The worst experience of my life, working with the Georgians. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Like. I lost my damn mind working with them. Like, to the point where one day I probably did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> um, I mean, we basically got to a point after they had taken like one or two casualties, they're like, all right, well, walking around outside is no, not safe. So only mounted patrols. And then these mounted patrols would just take forever because everything's an IED now. Like, we've hit two IEDs so far on this deployment. So now everything's an IED to them. I'm talking everything. So next thing you know, it's like this patrol, mounted patrol, it's supposed to take like an hour and a half, two hours. It's like, all right, eight hours in. <laughs> I already missed a meal. Because um, they're just constantly like, and then it got to the point where like EOD's not even kind of, I don't even care if it's real hit it and then we'll come out because they're just calling them out constantly yeah for nothing um and i was yeah i just i lost my mind one day you guys didn't use the uh go ahead go ahead and finish sorry yeah i lost my mind one day because i was like we used to always make them like put a glow stick in a water bottle and like throw it all right now from that where okay and you're like i'm like yeah that's not an idea like i can tell from here like i've been around this shit enough i know what the ground signs look like i'm like 98% sure that that's not, you know, and they just wouldn't move. So I hops out of the truck and I march down and I just start jumping. Oh, shit. <laughs> Cause I literally was just losing my mind. I was going insane dealing with this. And I was just like, see, not an ID. March back to the truck, jump in. And then my heart just like, what? What'd you do that for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause what if it happened? What was that? Well, yeah. So that was your, that's the reason you didn't like being with the Georgians? Uh, no, that, I mean, that's just one of the reasons. Like, they thought everything was an ID and everything like that. But, um, I mean, overall, it's just like, they were just didn't make me feel safe about shit. Yeah, so no, they instead were Instead of, like, terrible. something goes bad, instead of, like, improving security, they just pull in, mm-hmm. you know? What did you guys see out of the advisors that were working? Because Anglico wasn't there to be part of the advisor team no. they were just there to provide fire support but i imagine we kind of the lines got it, yeah, yeah i was gonna say i imagine the lines get blurred because you're going on missions and stuff yeah. with them um i mean they definitely could have found no i mean some of the guys some of the advisors were, were solid good to go um but i'd say like in general majority of them are just like 
what? random dudes that they pulled from, you know, hey, you're going to go do this or something, you know, so it's like. But was it, you think it was bad advising or do you think it was just because we're expecting too much out of a partner force? No, no. Um, I want to say you're expecting too much, but you definitely uh, didn't get much from them. Like I said, well, one of the things, if you're not an officer, they don't you're care, not, yeah, yeah, they don't give a shit what you say. Yeah. So, you know, they don't, it doesn't matter how many times you, how many you know, deployments you've been on, how much experience you have, like, oh, you're not an officer? That's pretty standard for a lot of foreign militaries. And then the other yeah, thing so, is weird Former about, Soviet Republic. Yeah. Saudi Arabia was, this, when we were in Saudi Arabia, they were like, okay, whatever. Staff sergeant. Who's a staff? Why do we have a staff sergeant talking to us? Where's Actually, the they're, captain? They're yeah. best guys. And the ones I liked most were guys that had been in under the Soviet regime. Mm. So, you know, you got guys that's like, he's like 25 years, you know, he's a major, but he works for some, you know, snot nosed captain, you know, because since he was part of the Soviet air, he, you know, they're like kind of pushed off to the side. Like, oh, you're not really? going to get kicked out, but uh, you're not important anymore. Yeah. Um, those guys are great though. They, they like, they listen a lot more and they, they tried to help us out, you know, as they could, but even they, you know, yeah, they wouldn't, they're like, yeah, I can't get rid of you, but like, so at, at the uh, headquarters level and higher, what was the what was like the feedback for the deployment? Like, how was the higher command? Were they were they happy with like what the Anglico detachments were doing in different areas? Yeah, stuff? everybody loved Anglico, but nobody knows what these guys are doing. You know. Yeah, that um, was like the hardest part of of the, the mission is like. Or not the hardest, but like the most important, like is selling Anglico because once you could sell us. People are like what? Yeah, we want them. We want them. They're like raising their hands, like you know, get yeah. on the waiting list. You know. Like, yeah, one of the uh, at one of the at the main Georgian where the company headquarters was. I forget the name of it, uh, but uh, there was a three. There was a company, and then the three. Yeah, outposts. The one that they yeah. down when I was there in 2013. But uh, I think it was Captain Baker was his name. He was the Anglico guy. I think it was Baker. And you go. Had, I forget who was up there. Was it? Was it, uh, I don't know if it was, uh, second brigade or if they had sent the, uh, the reserve guys. No, no, these were our guys, but, um, the, the Georgians would try to, cause I guess once Baker was able to educate them of what he could do, mm-hmm. then it was Baker kill them. So if you're in the COC and they're like, I see movement on the road, Baker, kill them. The Georgian guy would be, Baker, kill them. And he'd be like, hold on. That's just some people walking, you know, or whatever. Yeah. They're walking their goat. But uh, yeah, yeah once sure. they got, once they found out what was available. But Top Pyres, um, he handled most of the negative stuff. You know, he basically took care of anything that was a problem from you know, wherever he took care of that. I never saw any of the problems. What were the guys that were on this, like with the ODA and stuff, what were they doing? Were they doing direct action missions or like v, uh, village stabilization yeah, operation, VSO stuff? stuff a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who's it? Magana. He was with them. Thornburg. And then who's the captain? Uh, not Medina. That's like the dream gig, you know, like it, everyone just wants to deploy. But then if you find out like the entire unit's deploying and you're all getting 
farmed out to different places, when you find out one of those is a special yeah. operations unit, Minor. it's like, that's where I want to be. Captain Minor, he was the officer on that one. Captain Minor. Yeah, I can't believe how you can remember all that. I had a, a green well, book. Well, Torberg, I still talk to you. And I remember Minor because I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kind of a dick and like, for no reason. You know? Well, I had a green book and I had little, like, print off these little, like, army men things. And I had everybody's name on there and where they were at. And then whenever <laughs> they'd move, I'd be like, oh, shit. And then they'd be oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, so-and-so went over to this other team. I'm like, damn it. And have to scribble them out. And, I remember the board yeah. you used to have in your office. It had everyone's photo. Yeah. And it had exactly what team and what billet they were fulfilling. Yeah. And then you, you were like, all right, Salt Chiefs, if anything's changed, go in my office and move them around. Yeah, because it's so hard to keep track of. It's crazy, and I've said it on the podcast a bunch of times, but it's like a unit of less than 200 people, but you never, like, so as an example, we were both at First Anglico, probably overlapped almost two-year time period, but oh. I was gone most of the time, you know, when, when, because there's only four teams, two of those teams are deployed, one team's probably on their off cycle, and one team is building up for their deployment, it's just like you never see each other. Yeah. You never see the headquarters people. Well, even when I got there, like, I was there for such a short period before we deployed. Like, I knew a few guys in headquarters. I knew, I mean, I guess majority of the people in my brigade, but I didn't, I only knew, like, Salt Bravo. Yeah. Well, I had no idea who was in 2nd Brigade or 3rd Brigade at all. You know, uh, like, I remember when we all finally came back together, like, the what, couple of days before we, and like, flew out the end of deployment, I was running to guys, I'm like, you were thinking, cool, I don't know who we are. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was it like when, when the entire company got back together and everybody was kind of trading the stories of, like, what they had been doing during that deployment? Um, were there guys I like, yeah, this was great. I mean, I'm sure there were some bitter dudes that probably didn't have the deployment they wanted or. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's a little bit of all. Like some guys were, me and Cunningham, we, uh, I mean, because we were both single at the time, had nothing better to do. Like we were trying to stay out there. Like, because they, they were in a team that was falling back in on Carnica to replace us. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, company that was coming in. Yeah. So like we were trying to stay out there. We were having a blast, you know. And then there's other guys, like, they just wanted to get home, you know, like, something crappy had happened, you know, obviously, like, back home or whatever. Um, there's always something crappy going on se- back home. It seemed to me, like, the guys who were, like, with the brigades, you know, and, like, had internet and shit all the time, like, they were, like, gung-ho ready to go home. But, like, meet guys that were, like, me and, you know, some of the other teams who, like, internet? What's that? <laughs> like, I saw it, like, twice during the whole deployment. Yeah. You know, we didn't... We wanted to stay, or we didn't care about going home. It's like we didn't even know what the hell was going on back home, you know, because it hadn't. Yeah, you're so cut off. Yeah, we're so cut off. It's hard for people that have not been in the military, and then also for people that have never been forward deployed like that to to like understand the when you're out there and you're cut off, like you literally know nothing, and it's simple. It's like okay, I'm gonna wake up, and I have either I have a patrol today or I don't have a patrol today. If I don't, I guess I'll go work out, you know, yeah, see if there's any chow. Yeah, it's pretty simple. And then, guys, that's why I think a lot of guys get stressed out when they come back home because it's all the little bullshit yeah. that you then now, because you've, if you've been in a life-threatening situation in Afghanistan or something like that, when you come back, you see people getting all worked up about stuff and you're like, what is the big deal? Like, yeah. why are we, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's a... It's the red light thing. You know, people try to beat the light. Yeah. 
when you first come back, you don't try to beat the light because there's going to be another one. Yeah. You know, ah, oh, it's turned yellow. I don't need to beat it. I'll just wait for the next green one. Living that, through living through miserable situations in the military has made me such a like relaxed person now because I'm like, dude, I have definitely been in way worse situations than this. So this is like whatever, man. Let's just this is going to end like at some point. They, so uh, when they were talking about the National Guard guys out in D.C. right now, they're oh like, they had it made him sleep in a parking garage. I'm like, oh God forbid. <laughs> it, it had a roof, yeah, yeah. and a porta john. Wow, that's awesome. That whole thing is crazy. They're getting a ribbon for that. They're making a. They have a, getting, a new me- like ribbon or metal. Ribbon or metal for that. There's yeah, like one for being out there, and then there's like another one specifically like for the inauguration security. I think it's right. absolutely ridiculous that they keep extending them. You know, they they did this whole like March fifth. There was supposed to be or March fourth or whatever the fucking day was. There's supposed to be another like whatever. And no one showed up. And it's like, where are you guys getting this information from? Are you listening to like a single dude talking on yeah, 4chan right. or some shit? Some one dude I says think something? they're making so, it yeah, up. Now it's new on what, March 20th? Yeah, now it's March 20th. Like, I, I looked at it. I looked at it. I was like, you know what they're doing, man? I was like, they're extending these guys over and over again. And then in the near future, in the next six months or in the next election cycle, they're going to bring up how much security costs because of like what Republicans and stuff yeah, did. Yeah. And it's like, if you, the cost would be dramatically less if you just send these dudes home because they're not doing yeah, anything. Right? They're fucking standing around, not doing anything. Yep. Is it there. the newest one? Like they, uh, so ridiculous. A bunch of guys got food poisoning. Did they? From like, oh, from the catered meals that they're, yeah, they have I'm contracted like, well, they meals. They don't have that problem. Exactly. <laughs> And they yeah. won't have to use a port john either. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get that with those National Guard dudes. Those dudes are getting paid from their jobs. They're getting paid from yeah. the government. They're getting per it's the diem. Same thing with the they're reservists, getting man. Like, I went, reservists make bank on I deployment was like, and stuff. Yeah. I went. I spent a lot of time at Six A Co. When they were first standing up. Oh really? Yeah, helping them do like swim calls, and then since I was there, like doing other training stuff. Because uh, Fernandez and Rojas were up there uh, on I and I. Really? Yeah. So they're like, oh, hey, like, you're McQuist, right? Like, can you come up here? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, so I got, like, to experience, like, these reservists. Were they were, were they a new unit or were they a unit that transferred from one yeah, thing to another? It was, uh, it was a law unit, right? Like, some kind of JAG unit or some no, shit? it was a Marine MLG, I think. Marine Logistics. It was like a logistics unit, like yeah. Motor T guys and stuff. Yeah. I knew when they stood up, I knew a lot of guys were saying how they were going to have to go to MOS school, and there was a lot of officers that were saying. And they and there was a deal out for officers, like a certain rank, to come there because they needed some like company-grade yeah. officers. That's what I learned, too, is like the, the way the officers work for the reserves. Like all the enlisted guys, yeah, they're all kind of like within driving distance. Yeah. Um, but officers i mean there's they had guys that like they fly out from like texas florida yeah. and shit for that's for, why for you remember walker it's paid for like they, they get their well i think i think a piece of it is paid for yeah. i don't think the entire thing you remember walker from my team from salt delta yeah. he lives in new york city and i don't know if he's still doing it but i know for a long time up until at least last year he was flying to florida to go to fourth angle co yeah for the monthly reserve stuff yeah man it is crazy so First Anglico, you guys got back. Was there was that the only company deployment? No. Like full company? There was one before that. Oh, okay. But I, neither one of you guys were there for that? No, and then there was supposed to be another one. That yeah. was another reason why I wanted to go there. I was going to ah, get a couple more deployments in. And then uh, 
after we got back from the company deployment, then they shifted everything to be just salts. And mostly Georgian liaison missions, right? After that? Yeah, I did some of that and Yeah. But they just it just became not as fun. It's still fun, it's Anglico. Yeah. But it wasn't as fun as a company well, deployment. Had, like, we had two we had two salts out out at they were out there at the same time. Mm-hmm. But like they didn't go together. They were doing two separate missions. Like one was working out of the the old company compound on Leatherneck doing like Missions, General support stuff, right? With, uh, like attaching to a bunch of different stuff, but I know like the Australian and stuff like that. And then they had the salt that was out there doing the uh, the Georgian mission. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, well, that's probably one of the ones that like Demaro was on. You know, Demaro. Yeah, that he time was frame. on. He was with the. Who were they? Was I guess was it Alpha? No, he was always with no. Delta. He had staff sergeant real. No, he was with uh, he was with first brigade first, and yeah, then so he was Delta. Yeah, he was with Delta at the time. Yeah, because they were there. That's who I replaced. I replaced Demario, uh, Demario's team. Good times, man. Well, how was your? Uh, you decided to get out. What made you decide to get out? Well, I first off, I you you to get out. <laughs> you built the bar at yeah. Anglico, the Eagles Nest. Well, I guess we should talk about that too. The Eagles Nest. I mean, Anglico is the first unit I ever went to that built a bar inside their shop. You well, know? we had one and. Well, did they we before used to that? Have one. Before we had the new buildings, we had one in like the old barracks that were like. Was it called the Eagles Nest as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, and my original idea was try to like find all the crap that we had in there, um, but I guess a lot of it like got lost uh, during the move and stuff. I guess the we had an old like one of those like kegerators that with the taps and everything in it, uh, but. It didn't get like cleaned or anything, so it was just like junk, and someone I guess ended up tossing it out or something. Yeah. So I basically was like, "All right, well, I want to rebuild it, you know." And then once we got rid of Third Brigade and we had these extra office spaces, I was like, "Hey, sir, what do you think about this idea?" He's like, "Yeah, let's do it," you know. Uh, we love going in there and like yeah. having a beer too yeah, and talk stop about by there. stuff. Um, I actually I'm supposed to meet up with Top later today uh, over there. Check yeah. Check it out. I I've, I've seen the pictures. It looks like they've changed a lot of stuff, which I'm. Um, that's that's the idea is that people make their own put their own mark on it and stuff you know and i definitely some stuff was not done you know to where i wanted it to be by the time i left but i did that thing at the crunch like yeah you don't, you had yeah. a limited amount of time you were doing yeah. it on your way out yeah i did it did it pretty quickly so there i know there were some things that were you know left a little subpar so like i'm pretty sure that's why they redid the bars because like i had messed up on the top a little so some of the epoxy was still like sticky, sticky. yeah it, it's yeah. still sticky today yeah that's funny. It, it never cured they yeah. hung that on the wall though. it's yeah, up yeah, on the wall because yeah, it's it got all the patches the and yeah. people's yeah. rank so and i meant to come back and do a i wanted to come back and do a fresh like just a thin coat on top that would have cured properly and fixed that and then the originally i did the fence boards and i stained them um but i never got to put a like a clear coat so if you got too close, it would like rub stain off. Yeah, red camis. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. This is so. This is when I first met you, actually, because we had those boots come in, and you were having them working there. And one yeah, of them, yeah. one of them shot himself in the hand with a fucking nail gun. We're like, Jesus Christ! Can't you, take the boots anywhere. How do you do that? You know? I think I like, he ended up being a, a solid dude. Yeah, but that was, was like, a it's shitty okay, way to start. It's okay, I've done that before, and I just like pulled. <laughs> it's fu- it's funny because I was actually trying to get, I was vying to get him on my team because all those dudes showed up when you guys all went to Canada, 
So the entire company was in Canada and all, had all these new guys. And my team was still at the unit because we had just gotten back from deployment. But we had ranges out the ass scheduled. Yeah, I remember we... Uh, I set up a... I think I set up a range or two for you guys. I had quite a few, and so we and, grabbed those yeah, dudes, and I was I was using that as my period. Yeah. I was using that as my period to like feel them yeah, all out and see out. who I wanted to bring over to the to the teams and who was going to go to like the headquarters and stuff like yeah. that. And, and that one kid was one of the ones I wanted on my team, but then he who shot himself like, in the hand. Which one was that? Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna put his name out there. I can't remember all the names. He still, I think he, he might still be in, but I don't I know. I remember one of them. I seen a picture of him around. I think. I mean, it's older now, I guess, but he's a sergeant already. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Breathing have a pulse. You pick up rank in six months. Well, you got to think, man. That's yeah. it's been five years since then. Yeah, dude, it's so weird. Like, time goes by once you're yeah, out for sure. Are, like, man, I still be still in. I could be a, be a gunny by now and stuff. Like, like my friends. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah no, I, I didn't choose to get out. I. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember how you got out. What, what did your reenlistment well, just not get so approved or? I got a DUI. Oh, wow. 2013. Like, the week I was on, it was on pre-deployment leave. So, like, right before we deployed. And so, I had the mindset that oh, my career is over, you know, which is great. Um, sort of, because I had this mindset, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get forced out. Nothing matters. I'm just going to do, you know, what's right, what's best for my guys, you know, you know, what's... Uh, you know, whatever I think is like the you know best course of action, I'm not gonna take shit. You know, deal with any bullshit. So it actually worked out probably well. I, I think it made me a more effective NCO in that sense because I just like I don't give a shit what she said. Like I'm not gonna like you know be disgruntled and stuff, but I'm not gonna just like you know be a yes man and be like yeah let's do that bullshit. That sounds like a great use of our time. Not you know? there's definitely too many yes men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, I don't know if it was, I was talking with you or I was talking with Luna, and they're like, oh, no, yeah, we could, we could get you a waiver letter. <laughs> you could know? um, say, and I was like, well, shit, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, like, I wrote a letter, I think Top wrote a letter. Yeah, I think you I did. wrote a letter, and CEO, like, everybody's, like, writing these letters for me, and they get... Sent up to MHG, and then the MHG CO's like aide, like some captain or whatever, just chopped it. Really? Didn't even get to the CO. Huh? Um, yeah. And there's like I remember there's a big stink huh? about it. First, like wait a second, like these letters. Look who these letters are coming from. Like one's a lieutenant colonel. Like dude, should you be able to do that? Like I don't. No, I don't think so. I honestly don't know how much that actually helps. I knew a guy who got a. Uh, Drop from recruiting duty because he wasn't meeting his numbers. And this was like during the plus up. So it was like all the recruiters were being like beat to death to like get as many dudes as they could in. Mm-hmm. He wasn't meeting his numbers and he ended up getting dropped from recruiting duty. But this dude was like a war dog. You know, he's at 0311 who'd been on multiple deployments, you know, awards with V's and shit like that. And when it came up for his reenlistment when we were at 3-6, he had letters from like master guns like i think one was like a lieutenant general or some shit like that you know higher up dudes at least full bird colonels and uh or not lieutenant general excuse me um like a breeder general excuse me it, but didn't matter when he submitted his reenlistment package that the whole recruiting getting dropped from recruiting they 
they fucking made him, they forced him out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you're like forcing out probably one of the, one of your best like warfighter dudes, mm-hmm. you know, over some bullshit just because he's not a very good recruiter. You know, what pissed me off the most, like the reasoning behind it was that, you know, based off what the standards were at the time, you know, I shouldn't be able to take a boat space that someone else could have. Right. Um, I was like, all right. I mean, I, I guess I get where you're coming from. But then at the end of the fiscal year, they still had a bunch of boat spaces left for my MOS. And so six months after that. When other guys, not going to name any names, who <laughs> probably were less qualified to stay in than me and had the same exact, you know, DUI or like negative mark on the record, got to stay in because they had all these boat spaces they needed to get filled urgently because they hadn't gotten them filled. Yeah. So it's just like, what a waste, you know? It's always like that. It, it drives you crazy. So during the drawback, they get rid of people, hand over fist, right? <clears throat> and then, oh shit, we don't have enough. Let's give everybody twenty grand to make them stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you're like, come on, man, you guys have been doing this for two hundred and something years. You <laughs> yeah. can't figure out how to just keep the numbers level. You know, or well, a lot of it is because they won't work at all with the guys. Like you said, you called your monitor and was like, hey, I want to switch orders with this dude. I remember one scenario. This was in two thousand, got to be two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve time frame. I had two Staff Sergeant JTACs. At, this was at 210. Both of them were Staff Sergeants, new Staff Sergeants. Both of them were JTACs. Both of them were new JTACs. I think they both had a deployment as a JTAC. I can't 100% remember there. One of them got orders to Okinawa, and he didn't want to go. He's like, dude, fuck this. I don't want to go to Okinawa. The other dude had already been in Okinawa before and wanted to go and was actually married to an Okinawan woman. You know, and he wanted to go and he was like, I won't even do the unaccompanied. I'd go there for, you know, how, how long do you want me to go for? You know? Right. And so they called the monitor and they're like, Hey man, we're trying to do this one for one swap, you know, cause this guy wants to go, but I don't want to go whatever. And it's, it's literally staff sergeant, staff sergeant, JTAC, JTAC, you know, same thing. Yeah. And the monitor was like, no dude, if you don't want to take the orders, then get out. And the dude got out and the other dude ended up getting his orders anyway. So the exact same thing they wanted, they wanted to, that dude wanted. He went anyway, and the and now they just lost a JTAC that you know there's yeah. experience, the the cost of training yeah, that what dude, a waste of money. all it, because the monitor wants to be a douchebag and not kind of flex yeah. a little bit. It never fails it's to crazy. amaze me. I, I was never a monitor, so and I know it's there's other shit that we probably don't see, but yeah, there's a, it's a tough gig. I get it, but it never fails. I get it. So you see a monitor, right? Sometimes when they first get there. They're super cool for like the first year. Hey, whatever. Yeah, you want to go here? I don't care. Help someone so out. Yeah. Just, all because you're filling slots, right? Yeah. And then towards the end, they turn into total dicks because they've heard every sob story. My wife and this and that, and all the crybaby crap, you know, and or the opposite. They're total dicks at the beginning. And towards the end, they figure it out. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm just filling slots as long as I got staff sergeant for staff sergeant, you know, skill level. Um, it never fails to amaze me though. You like, come on, man. You're Anytime, quality dudes. Quality yeah, dudes uh, getting out because of shit like that. The, they definitely could do work a little harder to retain good guys that are getting out just for simple bullshit. You know? I think a lot of it though, really is guys, you know, like myself, you get tired of some of the incompetent stuff or dealing with people that haven't done shit. And they're like, this is how it is. This is how, what you're going to see. And it's like, dude, you, what are you talking about? I had two gunnies on my fucking last deployment that had this was their first deployment 
Two gunnies. This is my fifth deployment, and they were both on, and they outranked me, and they were both on their first deployment. I'm like, how is a deployment in 2017 your first deployment, and you've been in the Marine Corps for over 10 years? It's weird. Like, get the fuck out of here. And then they would tell me, like, you know, well, you'll you'll make it to the Chiefs' mess one day. You'll earn the right. Or hey, when when we go ashore, this is how this is how things are. And I'm like, you don't even know. You do, one one was a female, and she totally fucking. I, I think I told on the last podcast too, but she totally didn't even realize when the mosque started playing the morning prayer. She didn't know what that was. She's like, "Did you hear that music? We were in Malaysia." She's like, "Did you hear that? Whoa, that was super weird." I'm like. You fucking boot. I was like, that's the fucking moss doing the morning yeah. prayers. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Blew yeah. my mind. But you see people like that, and it's like, why am I getting paid less than this person? Yeah. I'm doing more work. Like, this isn't worth it to me. We had a gunny at Anglico who went on to be a first sergeant who's never been on deployment before. I still think to this day he's never really? been Really? Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't know who that is. I don't know. You don't have to call him out on the I podcast if you don't. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of Anglico guys that listen to the There's podcast. I'd hate to call them out. Dark Green Marine. <laughs> Or is that term so used? He voluntarily went to MHG to oh, yeah. do admin stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's cases where guys can't help it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I had a right guy time, right couldn't place. get promoted to Gunny. He was on recruiting duty when the war started. They extended him. So he couldn't, and then he couldn't get promoted. He got passed over for Gunny twice. Uh, he came to 1-5. Got passed over for Gunny because he didn't have a combat deployment. At that time, everybody did, right? Yeah. And uh, I fought tooth and nail to keep him. And then uh, I finally made him my company Gunny after I fired the company Gunny. And I took my my twice passed over staff sergeant, made him the company Gunny, took my formerly court-martialed sergeant, <laughs> made him the platoon sergeant. And the CO was like, dude... I would say, if, if, sir, if it works, we're freaking heroes. If yeah. it doesn't work, we're idiots, yeah. you know? But we've solved our own problem internally, yeah. and it, it turned out great. So we come back, and he's going to have to get out. And uh, got him over to Intel Battalion as the 03 rep, and then he did a year. He did or 14 months, seven months in Iraq and seven months in Afghanistan, back-to-back, mm. got from order to Gunny. There you go. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's the luck of the draw. He was a freaking good guy. It is guy. for sure. Yeah. But after 12 years, if you haven't even done a Mew or anything like that, like, come on. Yeah, it depends on how you, you know, where yeah. you ended up. And people don't control where they end up in the beginning. You know, if, if you get sent to, you know, barracks duty, Philippines or whatever in the beginning. Company. Yeah, shit like that. You know, yeah. so, you, and then from there, and like this guy, he just hit 1-5 after our last combat deployment and he did two udp or two muse with us mm-hmm. so he still didn't get a combat deployment i didn't think i was going to get to deploy in my first four years i was um i was a mechanic i was at mlg and there were deployments going out but i got tasked to go work on the efss the expeditionary fire support system the little jeep and 120 millimeter mortar and there was a deployment that they it was like a toss-up they we had just started training on this it was like me and two other mechanics and we had been training on this for a couple months because we were supposed to it was a, it's a new vehicle, so they were like timing us as we would do different tasks so that they could put it in the publication about this is how long it's supposed to take to do this task. So we had shit like that going on. And then I got tapped for deployment at the same time, but they wouldn't release me from the program. So my unit ended up sending someone else. So it, I was like three years in, you know, before they were like, hey, Kramer, you're going on this next deployment. I was like, thank God. But even then it wasn't guaranteed because... 
I had a guy, I knew a guy who four years got out in 2009. So that means he was in 2005 to 2009 when everything was going off, right? Four years, never deployed one time. He got tapped for one deployment, did EMV, did all the stuff, went on post-deployment leave, came back. This is at Camp Lejeune. So gets says family comes down to say goodbye, goodbye everyone, gets on the bus, goes to Cherry Point to deploy, kind of like how they go to March Air Force Base out here. Right. Goes to Cherry Point, duty van comes and goes, hey, who's so-and-so, is he here? Hey, man, you're not going anymore. Like, we cut some spots, you're not going anymore. And grab your shit, get in the duty van, and took him back. Oh, what a bummer. And all his family sitting there, they were probably relieved as fuck. They're probably like, oh, thank God. But that dude ended up doing four years and not one deployment, you know, during like one of the... So... It, yeah. it happens, but not when you're a fucking gunny man. Yeah. Come it's, on. It's, sometimes it's over the draw, ribbons, you know? If you don't have an overseas ribbon by the time you're a gunnery sergeant, like, come on. There was a, when I was in 2-9, there was a staff sergeant that had been in every action. No matter where he went, something happened. So he went to or Noriega, Panama, hmm. he, you know, the um, Beirut bombing. You know, just everywhere he went, something happened. So he, and he used to walk everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for us, I was like, this is good luck. And the dude walked everywhere. So, you know, you'd be like at the CP and you have to go all the way to the armory or the motor pool. He'd walk. So he'd walk all the time everywhere. And uh, so I walked with him and talked to him, you know, try, I was a corporal or sergeant at the time, try to learn stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're here. We're going to get to go somewhere and do something. (laughs) Yeah. It's guaranteed. uh, Yeah. And then I got orders, uh, I think I went to the drill field from there. And, uh, yeah, they went and did something right after I left. I'm like, hey, That's what happens, yeah. though. Yeah, I wanted to deploy. Like, if someone had told me that if I, you know, took orders to Inglico, I wasn't going to go on a deployment, I would have been like, all right, well, where else can I go then? Yeah. You know, like, I would have, thank God I didn't have to because Inglico is sweet. But <laughs> as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I lap moved, it was, there's no more worrying about getting to go do cool training or going, yeah. you know, going on deployments. I, I did my first deployment in 2009 and between 2009 and 2016, I did five total. Yeah. That, you know, it's like, it went awesome. from like nothing happening to boom, 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 you that's know, and then all I, the training in between and everything else. Back at it, that's kind of like, yeah, it's probably a good thing I had to get out because like I was, I had orders. Like if I had been able to reenlist, I was going to go to MZT to be an instructor. Yeah. And I didn't think about it at the time, but as I think back on it now, I'm like, yeah, I probably would have fucking hated that. <laughs> like, I've or, heard good or and bad. What happened after that, you know, it's like where we're at today, you know, because I was at Fast Company, you know, the way things ran there under Gunny Corners, like it was high speed, low drag, like not exactly your normal Marine Corps you know, fleet unit. Same thing with Anglico. So then it would have been. That alone would have been like an in in the Marine Corps, you know, little culture shock trying to go back to, you know, some sort of normal fleet life. And I'm like, what is this Marine Corps bullshit? Being in the con cage, <laughs> doing record jackets, <laughs> yeah, all day. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we're we're about two hours, so I think I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, is there anything you want to promote? Any organizations or anything like that before we get off here, Tracy? I know you you posted something on Instagram about your buddy's hair hair thing. If you yeah, want, you want to mention that Heaton's got Highway Saint. Oh yeah, Highway Saint. He makes pomade and sunglasses and stuff like that. Um, but Highway Saint is the name of the company. Yeah, 
I'll have to check it out. I put stuff in my hair occasionally. Not right now. Not for this episode, but, you know. It only makes sense that he would start a pomade company because, I mean, he puts it in his hair multiple times a day. Yep. <laughs> cool, cool dude, man. Yeah. That's Super cool, man. cool dude. Um, that and I have to say one of the two things that I really regret I didn't do in the Marine Corps, but one of them was your swimming classes at lunch. <laughs> because... You know, you, some, when you look back, you're like, damn, I, I had an instructor that I could get personal instruction on survival swimming, and I was too busy. Dude, becoming a McQuest, like, it was great for me, because one, while out of, what, like, 37 dudes that started on day one, only six of us graduated, so it's like, hard school for all these people. For me, it was like, you know, a three-week kind of vacation because yeah. swimming wasn't really hard for me and then it led to me i worked at the uh pool in polgus for like four or five months almost oh was, really yeah that's was, a legit school man vacation yeah, <laughs> yeah. mcquist is no joke for people that haven't been to it i know a couple guys that have graduated and it's yeah i mean yeah, it's not definitely not an easy school especially if you're like not coming from like a historical background of swimming but i growing up i was swim team and all that stuff so oh okay it's already second nature like it was just like yeah you're tired you know i'm like taking ben gay baths at the end of the day and like before i go to class and stuff but like for the most part yeah it was just swimming yeah and the hardest part was the running i'm like this is a mcquist school why <laughs> yeah. am i running <laughs> yeah for sure well, guys, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to come down here and uh, hang out for a little bit. Uh, for everyone checking it out, make sure to give me a like and a follow on the uh, YouTube channel. Check out my Instagram, at former action guys, at jcreamergraphics, both of those. Support the show. Go on uh, my website, jcreamergraphics.com. You can pick up, uh, you know, Anglico or whatever, or you can pick up, like, the former action guys podcast gear that we have available there. So make sure to check that out. These guys are on Instagram as well. You got Tracy uh, underscore 03 Sergeant Major, S-G-T-M-A-G-A. That's his and lucas.merit both on instagram if you say so <laughs> are you not on that account very much uh, i don't really like i think the last thing i posted was probably six months ago when i got my my new puppy yeah not everybody uses it as much, much as others like but you never know someone that you know from yeah. back in the day maybe see yeah, this and reach out to you find me on facebook you know that's what i use the most and it's specifically facebook for me is to keep in touch with all the guys you know like i keep in touch with the brits i worked with and yeah, and Marines for all over. I think that's why a lot of guys maintain Facebook accounts because it's yeah. not. It's, I just had one buddy of mine from Fast that just recently found me again on there. Or no, I think he found me on Instagram actually. Yeah. Yeah. So he's uh he's been doing some cool stuff. We were catching up on. He's out in Vegas now. That's sick, man. That's sick. Well, everyone, thanks uh thanks again for checking out the show and uh, enjoy your day.